This is episode 24 of the Rising Man Podcast with Will Reason. Fire it up, baby. Hello, hello. Welcome back, everybody. My Rising Man community. My name is Jedi Azuma, and you're listening to the Rising Man Podcast. I am the host and creator of this show, and I am so grateful to welcome you back to the show. It means so much to me that you guys tune in every week for these powerful interviews with men from all over the world, all walks of life, sharing their story about their journey from boyhood to manhood, everything in between, and what they've learned in the process. So, so grateful to have you guys in the audience today. Let me just first start by saying that the Rising Man Facebook group is popping off right now. We're over 600 members, and this is where things are really starting to heat up. We've got men inside of the Rising Man group who are sharing their personal stories, who are creating challenges for each other. It's really amazing to see how you guys have started to band together and raise the bar for what we can be as men, as individuals and as a collective. So if you are not yet a part of the Rising Man Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash the rising man. Get over there, get yourself an invite into the group. And if you're already in, please, please, please invite another man. Invite another brother into the community because that's how we grow. That's how we stretch and expand our circle. We expand who we are and who we're becoming. And there's so much more to come, you guys. In fact, my special announcement for this week is I've been working on this for a while. I know you guys have heard me mentioning that there's going to be a special invitation coming to you guys who've been supporting the show. And I'm pleased to finally announce that we will be holding our first Rising Man Fire Circle in the month of July for our biggest supporters. Yes, this is my way of giving back to those of you who have been sharing the podcast episodes, listening to every single one and leaving comments. Those of you who have brought other people to the show and and have really just contributed to making this movement move. Because clearly I can't do this by myself. I can't do this without an audience. I can't do this without support. And the fact that we've grown so much in only three months is massive. So this is my way of giving back and also a way to initiate something that I've been thinking about for some time now. And what it's going to look like is I'm going to create a Zoom conference, which is a virtual digital gathering of men from all over the world. And we'll get together for uh, for a while and really discuss some of the topics that have been talked about here on the show. I'll be taking questions from those of you men who want to ask questions of me, who have questions about being a man and maybe challenges that you're having in your life. We're also going to take some time to celebrate and acknowledge every man in the circle. So it's going to be a really powerful space. And I'm really, 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 really excited to launch this first one and get it moving. So for those of you guys who don't check your Facebook Messenger, make sure you're checking it out this week because the invitations are going to be rolling out to you guys. Make sure we get as many of you guys on as possible because this is going to be a really special, special, special event. So stay tuned for that. And if you're listening to this podcast and you feel like you are still not getting what you want to out of your life, you're hearing these interviews, you're hearing all these words of wisdom and the words are only getting you so far and you're ready to take action, go for it. Send me a message on Facebook. Hit me up at my email, jettyazuma at gmail.com. I am ready to support you taking the next step in your life. That's my whole mission, you guys, is that men all across the world, every single one of us, no man left behind, is living a life of purpose and service and contribution to his family, to his community, to the world. So if you're one of those men who are stuck, 
Stop what you're doing right now. Pause this episode and hit me up with a message. Share with me your story and your one greatest challenge that you're facing right now in your life. And you will definitely get a response from me as soon as possible. I'm really excited for all of the guys who've been reaching out because, hey, this is how we make things grow. This is how we make changes in our lives and step up as men. So uh, without further ado, let me introduce the guest that we have for today. Today's guest is a very special guy. His name is Will Reason. I mean, come on, the last name, Reason, it's awesome. (laughs) Will is a high-performance coach specializing in working with influential service-based entrepreneurs. Many of his clients have been high-performing coaches such as Emmy award-winning producers and Fortune 500 brand developers. Will holds the belief that all change occurs from the inside out, meaning that everything begins and ends inside of you, in your soma or your body. That's what the word soma means. It means your body. He brings 20 plus years of extensively studying ancient and esoteric teachings into his work. Everything he does in life is through a filter of symbolism. And through his years of studying human development, he's found that almost every culture in one way or another has come to a similar conclusion about transformation, that the key to changing the world is in you. It's in your heart, in your body, and in your nervous system. Will's a really special guy, you guys. He has some really incredible background. I'll let him explain that in the beginning of this episode. But just to give you a taste, some of the things we discuss in this interview is how boys learn what it is to be a man by observing other men and modeling the behavior. So it's really important for us as men to be mindful of what we're demonstrating and modeling for the boys who are watching. We talked about what happens to our bodies when we don't express and process trauma and our experiences in their entirety. We also talked about how our experiences shape who we become and how we respond to our environment. All the stimulus, all the, especially nowadays with so much stimulation in our environments, what's happening to our bodies as that's all occurring around us. We also talked about doing the work on ourselves and taking care of me, taking care of you so that we can be the best version of ourselves for the people in our lives. And at the very, very end, there's a live example where Will takes me and the rest of us who are listening through a somatic experiencing exercise. Really, really valuable stuff, you guys, but I won't give away anymore. I'll just let Will do the talking. Without further ado, you guys, Will Reason. Will Reason, my man. So good to have you on the Rising Man podcast. How are you doing today, brother? I'm doing well, Jetty. Thanks for having me here. We had to hurry up and hit the record button because there was already so much good stuff flowing between us, man. So <laughs> why don't we, uh, you know, before we jump into the topic we want to talk about and see where it goes, you know, before we start talking about trauma and how we as people internalize traumatic experiences, there's a question I ask everybody on the show and where I like to lead off with is what is the difference between a boy and a man to you? I love that question because it's so subjective to us. So I like to look at this through the lens of mysticism or allegory or story or symbology. You know, Joseph Campbell talks about, in his, some of, in his great wisdom of teaching, about the journey of awakening of a human being. And there are cultures all over our planet that have these rituals that boys go through to become men girls go through to become women. It's very much the same. So there's a defining pivotal moment in our lifetime where something happens and there's a shift and a change and we become different. And it's through this, there were rituals. Circumcision is one of those rituals, but there are a whole plethora of other rituals that native tribes have had. And I think what makes a boy a man or what differentiates those two, it's an experience, a powerful experience that shakes us in some way, or maybe just broadens our awareness 
of the world, mm. our experience of it. You know, a lot of cultures use pain as that defining moment so that the child understands that there's more to the world than the wonderment and excitement and the brilliance that they see in the mystery of the world, that there is this something and it defines their character and their growth in some way. And I'm inclined to think that in many ways, that is the thing. We grow up at different ages. Some of us don't grow up until we're 50. Some of us grow up at 10. Yeah. And, and that's something that's come up on the show before. Well, what I hear you speaking about is, is rites of passage. And we've, we've had other guests mention that before. But since we're on the topic, let me ask you about that. Is that something that boys all over the world in all different cultures, regardless of where they're from, is that something that finds them or do they have to go out and seek it or something else? That's a great question. I mean, I think it's a both and, right? So like some boys go out and seek it, some it finds them. And then, and then there's that paradox of, are we unconsciously seeking it? Do we, does it just find us by happenstance or do we find our way there because we're called and drawn to it because of some awakening that's happening inside of us? Yeah. I I think that it's, it is that it's, it's a bit of both, right? And everyone has such a unique story of what Joseph Campbell would call the hero's journey, that pivotal moment, the ordeal that needs to be passed through in order to become a man. And so, yeah, I think that that's something that in a lot of Western cultures, we don't acknowledge anymore. Even something you brought up circumcision. I know that's a very controversial topic right now, but you reminded me that that has roots in a ritual that marked the passage from boyhood and into manhood. And then it became something else. So what, what are some of these other rituals that have, uh, have kind of lost their value or their meaning in, in the modern world? Well, I think you see it in religion almost everywhere, even in, um, so like you have your baptism, you would have in Christianity, you'd have the, um, confirmation of faith where you're taking this step and you're going through this process, but I'm not well-versed in all of the rites of passages in the other, in in other religions, but I know that there is some part of that, Mm -hmm. that, inherently is in, in, in those pieces. In shamanic cultures, the ones that work with medicine, plant medicines or ayahuasca or peyote, there would be a journey that would happen between nine and 11, mm. depending on when the child come, is ready. Or there'd be the sweat lodge. You know? mm-hmm. There'd be something that the boys would watch the men do that thing that made the men the men mm-hmm. in some way, shape or form. And then the day would come when they would be invited mm-hmm. and something would change inside of them. But it's more metaphorical than it is actually physical. Mm. It's the experience. When the experience happens, suddenly our perspective is shifted and it's different. And the way we see the world is suddenly different. Mm-hmm. You mentioned something interesting there, man, is that the boys watch the men do what it is that made the men men. And so it made me think, okay, well, what are our boys watching our men do now that's telling them what it is to be a man. And let me, let me hear your perspective first before, before I weigh in. Oh man, <laughs> there's so much, right? Yeah. And it differs by culture. Sure. Let's talk about, let's yeah. talk about the Western world. Let's talk about, you know, first world countries, the U S in particular, cause that's where most people are listening in from. Work is one of those things. I think mm-hmm. partnership mm-hmm. is one of those things. The clothes they put on, the shoes they wear, mm-hmm. the way they hold their bodies. The things that they do, driving a car, exercise routines. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be any number of different things or these patterns of behavior. Like I remember watching my father shine his shoes. Mm-hmm. I remember he organized his closet in a certain way. 
And I remember when he came home, he'd take his money out and he'd put it on, on his dresser. And he'd have a very specific way that he did things. He had his routine. And for me, that was some piece of his essence of masculinity. Mm. And I think it's that way for most boys. They see that thing. And it's different for all of us because all of our, our trajectories are a little different. Our parents are a little different. Mm-hmm. But there's that symbolic nature of I'm looking out and up in life, like in the forward direction at what I might be or what I might want to be or what I might want to emulate. And then there are these, these ways of being. Mm. I think there are some toxic ways of being that also, you know, abusive men, angry men, mm-hmm. or repressed men, mm. fearful men. You know, there's all these other things. And then as children, we emulate because for each of us, our family is normal no matter how different it is from the rest. Mm. That's a great point, man. And that's all we do as children. All we do, all we know how to do is model until that prefrontal cortex has developed enough for us to think consciously for ourselves and to develop our own unique identity apart from our parents. We just model whatever it is that we saw, whatever it is that we know. And so yep. go ahead. I was going to say that happens sometime around three or four years old when the hippocampus becomes developed. Right. And, Science now understands that before that happens, there's this neurological patterning that's occurring between humans, the child and the parents, the child and the grandparents, the child and the direct grouping of people. It's all patterning. It's like the software Mm. for our computer, our body, so to speak. It's fascinating. Yeah, man. It's it's really interesting. And, And that leads me to a little bit of a transition point because whatever it is that we witness in our younger years, whether it's violence or abuse or riches and abundance or just hard work ethic, we take those things on and they leave a mark on us without us knowing. That's something that you and I have talked about before. So thinking about the things that we witness and take on and internalize in our bodies is something I know a lot of people don't really know about. So tell us a little bit about Um, Why don't you actually just tell us a little bit about how trauma and experiences we have can live in our bodies, just to create context for that first. Sure. So I'm fascinated with our physiology, just absolutely fascinated with it. And I'm going through a a training program that was founded by a doctor named Dr. Peter Levine. It's called Somatic Experiencing. And through this, it's opened my world to understanding how our bodies relate to what I even call stimulus from the environment. So There's the nervous system in our body interacts with our tissue and our muscles. There are these electrical signals that move through the fascia, which connects to every last thing in our body, most specifically the nervous system. Mm -hmm. And so our body is constantly reading its environment, looking for safety and threat to assess those things, to help us to move through the world in a way that will further our existence, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Trauma might be understood as an unresolved charge or memory, because we can think about this as memory, implicit memory in the body, meaning body that's like memory that's stored in the tissue. So when that happens in our in our body, our body doesn't differentiate time and space. Our body just lives in the present moment in the now. It cannot tell that there's anything else because all there is is right now to the body. When there's a traumatic event, there's an event where the energy gets stored in the tissues and the muscle and the in the organs in the body. The body carries that as if right now it's still happening. Mm -hmm. All of the right now moment is still experiencing that, oh my God, this is happening right now. And it can get re-triggered when there's a surge of an activation of that energy in the body. Mm 
So let's just use an example of a car accident. One of my trainers uses this. It's a great story. I absolutely love it. I may not do it justice to the way he uses it, but let's say that there's a man, he steps out onto the street. It's a beautiful day. He's, he's looking up, he's admiring the sky and he's just thinking about how beautiful everything is. He's looking up to the left. And then all of a sudden there's a loud noise. And before he can turn and look, he just sees a flash of red and he wakes up and it's two weeks later and he's in the hospital. And he doesn't know what happened. He knows that he got hit by a truck or a vehicle some kind. And then, so he heals and he goes about his daily life. Now, the strangest thing happens for this man. Whenever he's around someone wearing a red shirt, he becomes enraged or he becomes terrified and has an anxiety or panic attack. This is, these are extreme examples, Mm -hmm. right? Just to to kind of paint the picture. He doesn't know why this is happening to him. Mm. He doesn't even associate it with the red color. He just knows that sometimes he has these panicky feelings Sometimes he gets really angry and he doesn't know why. And it's this undischarged energy in the body. It's the memory that's stored in the tissue. And so the body's unconscious. Its feelers are looking around at the space, saying, assessing for danger or safety. And they see the red color and they're like, oh, crap, danger, danger. We're going to die. Mm-hmm. And he becomes paralyzed. Mm-hmm because the paralyzation was what saved his life, so to speak. Mm. It's what prevents his nervous system from experiencing his own death. And will that continue on unless something is addressed about that? Is that that how the nervous system functions? Yeah, it'll carry on until the nervous system is able to resolve that charge and that, that whatever it is that's wound up inside of it. Yeah. So there are ways, there are means to assist the body in uh, renegotiating that experience and building new neural pathways so that the threat assessment becomes different mm-hmm. and the body's response to that becomes different. Now, that's a really extreme example, but imagine, I guarantee you, all of the listeners out there today have had experiences in their life where there was something difficult that they experienced younger, early on in life, midlife, whatever it was. And they notice that in relationships, all their partners have a similar thread to them. And there are certain triggers that they, that they have with these particular partners. I mean, I know I've had similar experiences like that. Mm. Our body goes in search of healing always. It's, it's seeking out the ability to let go of this energy. It's stored in it. It's like, ooh, this situation might be similar to that thing, so maybe I'll get to get angry. Maybe I'll get to run away from the threat. Maybe I'll get to fight the threat because maybe I had to freeze. Maybe I couldn't do anything to protect myself. Hmm. And this gets into talking about the the way the nervous system works, right? And I'm fascinated with the polyvagal theory right now. It just fascinates me. Hmm. So the vagus nerve runs through the center of our body, right? And it branches out into all these different places. There's the ventral system, which branches out into our social engagement system, I believe it is. And it's up in the face. So it's the eye movements, the facial expressions, the tonality and the prosody of my voice. It's like when we talk to each other, it sounds like we're singing. If we talk to a child... I'm going to talk really soft and excited. Hey, little guy. Because the kid only understands the inflection points and the tonality of our voice. Mm. So there's that part of our social engagement system that's up here in the neck up area. But then we have the sympathetic system. And one of the areas that it touches in our body is in our chest, at least that branch of the, the vagus nerve. And the organs that are here, if you think about it, this is one of the ways I like to remember it, the organs that are here are the lungs and the heart. What do the lungs and heart do? They mobilize us Mm -hmm. to either get the hell away from danger or to fight and protect ourselves, Mm. save our own lives. Mm. Yeah. Then we have the, um, the lower part of our body, which is in the intestinal area, that part of the vagus nerve, which is the 
parasympathetic part, and that's the rest and digest. And if you think about the organs that are there, they're they're processing organs. This is the part of our of the nervous system that'll come online if we can't fight and we can't flee and we can't engage with the public and there's a threat. It'll come online to protect us uh, uh, to protect us from experiencing the pain that might come along with those things, that danger. Mm. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to to hear it all put in that perspective. And I know that there may be some people who are listening to this that might be overwhelmed by some of the scientific stuff. So I know for me, it can be that way sometimes. And I'm thinking to myself that what I'm hearing from you is that our, our, if we just appreciate the fact that our nervous system is a, a massive storage hardware system that can that can take all take in all of this information and put it in different places in our body, not just in our brains. I think that's one critical step. Yep. And the second thing is that all of this stuff lives in our body and it has a very well developed and well thought out structure to it. You know, like you said, you know, our, our organs are in certain positions and the the parts of our nervous system that activate different muscles and tissues, they're all perfectly structured and organized to keep us alive. That's why we've survived for as many years as we have. And I just want to back up a second to something that you said a little bit earlier. You were talking about how we store trauma in our body. And you had the example of the guy getting hit by the car. It made me think of a a traumatic experience I've had that I know is stored in my body because of the reaction I still have today. And if some people who have followed me on Facebook, I, I did a Facebook live about a month ago about anger and about rage. And I shared a story of a relationship that I used to be in where the the partner that I was with at the time was abusive physically, mentally, and emotionally. And so there would be times where she would hit me and, and my response back then was exactly what you said was to suppress it down, was to, to freeze up and to hold on to it because I, I would never react with violence to it towards a woman. So fast forward in my relationship with my wife, which is beautiful and amazing and not abusive, we have a tickle fight and it gets a little out of control and a hand comes flying over and catches me in the face and immediately I get transported back into, I'm going to hit you. And not that I, not that I do, but it, it creates this response in me and she can see the difference in my face. I feel it in my body that there's a switch that comes online that shifts how I'm feeling and what I need to do about it. And so I wanted to share that so that there's people who are listening to this, they may be able to identify something that triggers them. It can be a really tricky thing because then it's like, well, what do I do with this? You can't think or process your way out of reactivity. You don't change a reaction in the moment. You do the work ahead of time so that your response is different. So yeah, what are your thoughts on something like that? Well, I want to respond to something you just said, actually. I think that's a brilliant example of how this plays out. Because yeah, I can get really heady and talk about the science and it can be overwhelming for a lot of people. But practically speaking, that's exactly how this impacts us. Our body has these responses to things and sometimes we're just not even conscious of it. We're like, well, I don't know why I'm acting this way. Or in your case, you're like, I know exactly why I'm acting this way and I don't know how to stop it. Mm-hmm. It's like the example that I like to use is this analogy of, of a car. Our bodies are our, our car, our mind is our driver. Mm-hmm. And we can cultivate the mind and teach the driver how to be the most incredible driver in the world. They can become masterful at driving. But if something's going on with the car, it doesn't matter how masterful they are they still can't drive that car like they could if it was in tip-top shape. Mm-hmm. And the same goes for the car. If the car is like this incredible car, like the best car in the world, if something's going on with the driver, it doesn't matter how good the car is. It, it can still wreck. Mm. It can still have problems. Yeah, man. I love that analogy. I, I use something like that back in my physical therapy days of, of teaching people how, how the nervous system runs a, alongside the tissues in the body. So that's, that's great, man. I'm glad yeah. you brought that up. 
this word trauma can also carry a stigma to it. And so maybe it's more beneficial just to replace it with the word experiences, because I believe, and I think you'd agree that all the experiences we have in our lives shape our beliefs and shape our reality in alignment with what happens on a physiological level. So uh, I thought I'd ask you, uh, what, what is one of the greatest challenges or experiences or traumas you've experienced in your life that has shaped who you've become? It's a great question. And there's a series of things that happened in my life that I'd say was a, a succession of multiple experiences. And it began at about 12 years old. And from 12 to about 24, 25, something like that, it was just a wild roller coaster ride for me in my life. So at 12 years old, talking about rites of passage, I was thinking about this actually while, you, while we were talking about this, but when, when a boy becomes a man. At 12 years old, I was sent to live in a group home. And I, in between the ages of 12 and 15, I went through a ton of physical sexual abuse from other men, from boys. I was bashed in the head. And if you were here, you could feel it on my head. There's a flat spot on the back of my skull. I was clubbed over the back of the head with a huge rock. I mean, I don't know if you can describe to the listeners how large this is. You know, two hands was, full, two handfuls worth. Yeah, of two, yeah, it was huge. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It was in a sock hat. He just oh, wow. clubbed me over the back of the head with it. So anyway, those were things that shaped me because I had to surrender into them, not believing that I was justified in having to be there, feeling stuck, feeling taken advantage of, and not having a sense of power, of personal power. Mm. Couldn't direct my life in any way at all. And when I came out of that, my parents split up and my father began a journey, a journey of uh, gender reassignment surgery. Mm. And I went and lived with him and I began exploring psychedelics and I began questioning myself and my place in the world as a man, you know, who am I? What am I? What's going on with my sexuality? You know, having experienced some abuse and then questioning that, do these things have meaning here in my life? And as I, as I grew and aged through that, it became the, one of the greatest defining pieces of who I am that allows me, my temperance and my love and compassion for the world to really shine through and live and, and be through me. And it has empowered me as a man in my own strength of character, learning that I can take any experience and go through something so big, seemingly so big. And then my family looks at where I am now in life and just, is, just it's like I'm not the same person. Mm -hmm. And I've gone through these iterations of change over the years. Mm -hmm. Not to mention living in the Amazon jungle with shamans for <laughs> an extended period of time and drinking ayahuasca and almost dying. Mm -hmm. I was six and a half hours away from any sort of help at all. <laughs> and I didn't speak the language. And it, it was crazy. Yeah. And that was trying in a different way. All these experiences. Mm. So one thing, I, I think it's the combination of how all of those things have impacted my knowingness of how powerful I am to create my world and to see that, wow, I created all of that with the decisions that I made. Mm -hmm. I think there's a loop that we get to create here going all the way back to the first question I asked you when we started talking about rites of passage you mentioned circumcision was one that you mentioned another other rites of passages that involve some element of pain there's you know body scarring and tattooing and things like that that happen in different cultures and as I'm thinking about what you're saying it's like these rites of passage some of the time are looking to prepare these boys for a life that's not, like you said, all rainbows and butterflies. And any one of us who has 
ventured into the adult world knows that it's it's not happiness all the time. It's not easy all the time. And that's not really what life is all about. So what I want to do is actually reflect upon how this almost like helicoptering or overparenting culture in the Western world has affected our boys. Let's let's talk, let's speak specifically about boys, because I know that everyone's talking about millennials and how they're not motivated and they're stuck in their parents' houses and they never get out. And I've heard a lot of compare. Uh, um, parallels being drawn to the way that those children were parented. So, so let's let's jump into that for a minute. What are your thoughts on that phenomena? Yeah, I think I, I guess I'm of a mixed mind on it. I think that as you as you put it, the helicopter parenting. I think that has a, a very direct impact on how the child develops, how we as people develop. It's going to influence us in one way or another. Does it create a person that wants to live inside and not really go out into the world? Maybe. I'd be more curious what would happen if we did it differently. Mm. But for men, especially for the kids today, we're missing connection. We're missing human to human connection. We're missing imagination, missing time for reflection. Mm. And And the parents aren't cultivating that because they're not cultivating that in themselves. Mm. And they're not teaching the boys how to do those things. Here, go watch TV. Here, go do this thing. I've got to do stuff. Or... I'm going to sit here and scroll on my phone while I'm standing in the checkout line and my kid's crying at me. Mm. Mm -hmm. How does that help him to feel safe and secure and loved in the world? Mm. It doesn't. And that patterning, it's it's going to continue. And and also we we spoke about the modeling, right? And, And I think about, I know a lot of parents and I know I'm a parent myself, so I know how tempting it is to try and shield your child from the realness of life. Like the, the arguments you have with your partner, the tough days that you have at work, you try to put on your happy face before you come in and be with your kids. And I know that there's mixed opinions about it and every case is unique. But thinking back to what you said before, which was so brilliant about how the boys watch the men do what the men do. I really believe that that's the linchpin in the problem here is like, what are we demonstrating for our boys? What models of masculinity and manhood are we giving our boys? And just looking at that, like as a starting point on an individual level, I mean, at the time of this recording, it was just last week, there was the shooting down in Santa Fe, Texas, right? What did that boy, what was his observations of manhood and what men do? You know, and I think being curious about it first is really what's most important for us. Yeah, I agree. I agree. What did he learn about what he was supposed to do with his anger, Mm -hmm. with his emotions? You know, as men, we're taught culturally that we're supposed to push it down inside and be strong. And there's, I mean, even in today's age, we still learn that, you know, even though we know that we need to expand that and, and like encourage it to be different, there's still that cultural norm. Is it okay for me to cry? Is it okay for me to show my son my vulnerability? What happens? Is he going to still think that I'm a man? Mm-hmm. You know, and then for the, the boy, is it okay for me to cry? My friends tease me. It doesn't feel safe for me to be vulnerable in the world. What would change in our world if it was safe for us to be vulnerable, for us to be emotional, for us to really, I mean, because we're emotional creatures. It's just, we don't show it as men as much, but what would change if we really were raw and real about those things? Mm. Man. Yeah. While, while we're on that tip, cause you know, that's one of my big things is like full freedom of expression for men. Like that's, that's definitely something that I champion. So what are, what are some ideas that, that you would throw out there for how we could support our boys and our men to more freely express the range of emotions that they're experiencing? Express our emotions as men. Normalize it. Invite that conversation. Invite that into reality. Really model those behaviors. 
Mm. When I get sad, I want to feel my sadness. When I'm upset, I want angry. I want to feel my anger. Mm-hmm. But let's not get lost in it. Let's cultivate our witness so that we can notice ourselves, be with ourselves, experience the thing, and, and then let it pass. Mm. So we can model that, that healthy way of interacting with our emotions. Yeah. Especially interacting with, with our partners, whether that be a man or a woman. Mm. You know, Showing that. What does a partner do in relationship? Which means we got to do our own work. <laughs> Yeah, man. Absolutely. And that's, that's, a, that's another key point there. I don't even know if we have time to go down that rabbit hole, but <laughs> doing your work and, and taking care of you and making sure that you're scouring the body for these unresolved traumas, these, these experiences you have that are still living with you and, and learning to express yourself freely. And I love what you said about normalizing it. it we got to create a culture and a society, society where it's normal to express yourself and we, and we create rituals or traditions or ceremony around how we do those things so that the boys can watch the men being men who express themselves. That's it right there. Yes. Beautiful. I, you know, I want to make sure we circle back to this story about your father, because I know that that's a big thing for you. My first question that I had was how did that affect you? Cause I've never had any, I've never had anybody on this show who had, uh, you know, a, a father, a parent at all, but specifically your father, choosing to, to move towards the other gender. How did that affect you and your identity as you were becoming your own man? Yeah, that was, um, that was powerful for me. It was very uncomfortable at first. I ignored it. I was angry. I sort of imploded on myself. Does this mean something about me? Does this mean something about my sexuality? And then I was living with him when he was transitioning. So then I was able to feel compassion and we were able to connect. And I was going through my own turmoil inside and so there was this emotional turmoil inside of me. And there's this emotional turmoil. It was very, very difficult for him to go through that process. And so we connected in our mutual pain, but there was still that, it was like a loss of identity. Like, who am I? What does it mean to be a man now? Who's that model for me mm. going forward in the world? Because my father still remained my father. Mm-hmm. It's just the way he identified in gender changed. Mm-hmm. And so I still had the person in my life, but the archetypal father had shifted. And so there for a while, there was this, I don't know who I am. You know, how, how do I model myself? Mm-hmm. I just dove into psychedelics for a while mm-hmm. and just went and explored. There were, I think the longest stint was like two months straight of just exploring my psyche, the outside world. And I used it as an escape for a while. Mm. And then I came back and it enriched our connection in the long term. But circling back to the question, you know, how did it impact me? It was really hard at first. And I questioned myself a lot. And then I became really strong and really compassionate and really open-minded and really loving. And just last year, he retransitioned. Mm. So what was... Back to living as a man. So what has that experience been like for you, obviously, on the other side of things? So my first experience seeing him having retransitioned was, it was kind of like coming home after a long time. Mm-hmm. I remember I, I thought, oh, this is going to be fine. Uh, or I'm going to feel really emotional. And I didn't feel really emotional. It was kind of like, oh, wow, there you are. I haven't seen you in 17 years. Only you've been here all along. And I've loved you all along. And still, I love you the same. And here you are, the exterior shell has changed a bit, but nothing has really changed about who you are, except for your appearance, right? And then there were waves of emotion that moved through me that night as I laid in bed. And just this realization of this like welling up of like, oh my God, 
I didn't realize how much I missed that archetype hmm. of, of the masculine archetype, you know? Yeah, man. It, and just listening to your story, it reminds me of how important it is to remember that we all go through our different ordeals. We all go through our different experiences and the story that we live shapes our, who we become, you know, the, the, those and how we tell that story. Yes. Even, even, even more importantly. Yeah. So tell us about, tell us about that, how we tell the story about our, our journey. Well, even just the stuff that I experienced as a teenager could have shaped me and I could have let that become my identity and I could have ended up in jail. I could have just gone down all these crazy paths. I could have let my identity as this rebellious teenager turned into a life path and a journey. Mm-hmm. I could have let drugs consume me. I could have let alcohol consume me. I could have let this, like, I'm the victim of this family dynamic and therefore I'm fucked kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Excuse my language, no, you know? Like, but yet I choose this different way of looking at it. This has shaped me. It's, these are my gifts. These are the things that give me this insight and this, this perspective on the world that, that broadens me as a human being, it expands me and my capacity to be with others in their pain. Mm. And every single day we get an opportunity to tell our story in a new way. And I want to circle back to this thing. The only thing that exists in life is this present moment. We forget because we fantasize about the future and the past in our minds. And we're consumed with these fantasies that aren't really real. But when we get really, 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 really real, Right now is the only thing that that exists. And what we tell ourselves about this moment is what makes this moment what it is. Mm. And that's that's beautiful, man. And it touches on a topic that has come up many times on this show at this point is victimhood and being being a victim or being the hero of your story. And so, you know, I used to try and and entice my guests to to tell us and share with us some tips about, well, how do you rise above and how do you shift your story? But even I think for something, it's clicking for me right now that you just have to choose. You either choose to surrender to the circumstances of your life or to engage the circumstances of your life and rise above them somehow. And that's really what each of us gets faced with. The stories, the, the details of the story may be different. The circumstances, you know, you may think your story is easier or harder than someone else's, but it's just the the cards that you're dealt and it's your choice what you do with them. Yeah. What am I choosing today? Mm-hmm. At every single moment we are creating our world. Today is a product of yesterday's creation, of last week's creation and whatever. There's a ripple, right? Mm-hmm. But it's magic, man. And today I'm creating this me. And if I wanted to create a different me, I could create a different me. Mm-hmm. I've created so many versions of me. And like when I cut off four feet of my hair, it was like, okay, time to create something new. Yeah. It's like, I loved that hair and I loved how I felt with it. And then all of a sudden I realized that I was clinging to my identity with it. And I'm like, oh, wait, cool. I can, I can create something brand new. <laughs> I love that, man. It definitely breaks my heart a little bit when I get, like I told you, my <laughs> long haired friends cutting their hair, but I totally, I totally get it. I vibe with that. I didn't prepare you, prepare you for this next question, but I thought it'd be a fun little exercise to practice. I know that the trauma work can be can be very deep. And so I don't know what, what we might be able to do here, but I thought that if we could create some sort of experience or an opportunity or an invitation for those who are listening to examine some of the experiences they've had in their life, is there something that you could lead us on, a short exercise that obviously is safe to do by yourself and Mm -hmm. just to examine some things that might be there to give you a perspective from which you can start to change it if you choose. Yeah, I think we could, we could play a little bit. Um, I think what would be most instructive for all of those of you that are listening would be Jetty, if you and I maybe played a little bit and I'll 
walk you through a process and our listeners can kind of do something similar. Great. Let's do it. So the way I would want to begin is for those that are listening that are not driving in a car (laughs) to get comfortable. And for you, it looks like you're standing to just notice your feet on the floor and notice yourself where you are in the room and take in your surroundings and notice the things that are around you. Notice the shapes and the colors and the objects and give yourself a moment to orient to your space and notice which of those things stands out most. Mm. There's a, there's a picture on my desk of my son in a red frame wearing overalls when he was about one year, one year old. That's the one that catches my what attention. What stands out most about that particular picture to you? The look he has in his eyes. He look, he's got a look of wonderment in his eyes. Okay, cool. So I begin the exercise by having you find a, a something that anchors you to your space. So for those that are listening, find a thing in their space that anchors them to their space. And from there, I would invite you to think about a time in the past four or five days where you felt most yourself. Okay, got it. You got it? Mm-hmm. Okay, and you don't have to really tell me about what the time was, but thinking about that experience, do you create a picture in your mind of yourself there? Do you re-experience it viscerally? How does that happen for you? I, I know exactly where the position of the sun is. I can feel the temperature of the environment on my skin because I'm outside. Mm-hmm. Um, I can feel the wind moving, uh, so it's very environmental for me. Great. And so everybody's going to have a little bit different experience of this, but those that are listening can play with noticing how they know that they're connected to that experience in their body. And as you're connecting with it, Jetty, notice what's happening inside your body right now. Mm. Yeah. What happens for me is my body wants to uh, experience that again. <laughs> it was, it was a time where I was exercising outside in, in the sunlight and my body's like, let's go do that. <laughs> So as you continue to remember that time where you were exercising outside, notice what happens now inside your body. Notice your breathing. Notice your muscles. Notice your forehead. Notice your body. Mm. Yeah, I start to become tense. My body's kind of anxious, like, let's go. It feels like I'm in a ready state right now. And where is that ready state most noticeable in your body? in my arms. I, I, I didn't even notice this, but I, I reached around behind my back and I started squeezing my fingers back there and kind of pulling my arms and shoulders yeah. back to engage. So you're noticing your arms and that you interlocked your fingers and, and you're noticing the muscles engaged too, I take it, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so if you follow that experience in your body, what else do you notice? I noticed that this is a very familiar state for my body to be in. It's very familiar for me to generate tension, to shorten my breathing, to um, engage my muscles and create tension in my muscles uh, without even knowing it and with, without mm. there actually being a need or a necessity for that. Yeah. And how quickly the mind creates meaning mm. of what's happening right now with us. And when you go into your mind, what happens to your connection to your body? Gone. <laughs> right. My body could have left the room and I wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Exactly. And so reconnecting to your body, what's happening now? Um, now my body feels a little bit exposed. It kind of feels like, okay, how can we, how can we soften back up? Cause <laughs> we just got exposed live and on the show. Yeah. And it feels like, okay, it wants to soften again. It's remembering that it can be soft and it can be still right now. And so what I've done here with you for the listeners is just drawing your attention to everything that's happening in the present moment and having you report it 
which activates your conscious witness to the experience of yourself. And so my invitation to our listeners would be to take some time, witness yourself in the moment right now. Notice what happens in your body when you witness yourself in your body. And if you have the ability, speak it out loud so that you're witnessing yourself without getting lost in the experience. Mm. Because the mind comes online, we drift off in thought, and we disconnect ourselves from the present moment all day long. We're leaving and coming and leaving and coming, coming and going. <laughs> Even our listeners, while they're listening to this, they're thinking about lunch, they're thinking about dinner, they're thinking about something that happened when they were five, they're thinking about next week. And then all of a sudden, they're back. Mm-hmm. And so as you're here with your body right now, what do you notice about how your experience is different? Um, well, I was going to say right now, I'm, I'm just appreciating how often that I do this. Like you said, how often I, I lose sight of, of presence. I lose my presence. And that there's also an attachment to it that I need to do something about that right now. That as soon as I become aware of, oh man, I'm so unpresent to the moment, I got to be present in every single moment now. And so that's that kind of replays a story of perfectionism that carried through my childhood and into my into my adult years as well. So there's a lot that can be learned in, in just doing that, huh? Yeah, man. And I mean, as our, as our awareness is focused on ourselves, quite often there's an impulse to do something about what we notice instead of just being with what is there. Because our patterns are to change ourselves and to get away from discomfort and to avoid these things that live inside of our tissue and our body. And when we have real presence with them, they move like water moves in a stream. Mm. A whirlpool looks the same, but it's always different water. Our body's like a whirlpool. Mm. And the experiences will move through us if we give them that presence rather than attach ourselves to doing something about it. Mm. That's brilliant, man. Thank you for for leading me through that and for giving the listeners an opportunity to experience the same. Uh, I mean, just such a such a simple practice to bring yourself to some awareness and to get information about ourselves to to understand well what's coming up and leaving judgment at the door. I know that's a big one for me is like judging that I got tense in my body or judging that I became unpresent to what was happening here and now. It's so important because we're so hard on ourselves. We're so damn hard on ourselves, man. <laughs> it's crazy. We are. we are. I mean, I am. I'm sure you are. Like we all are. It's like, Absolutely. did I get that right? <laughs> <laughs> did I do it right? Is everyone going to be inspired yeah. or are they going to get what we were doing? Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, man, the mind, the mind can really run wild. And so, uh, thank you for that exercise and for that reminder that we can just keep it simple and examine ourselves to get information and then we can be then we can be more choiceful in our future that's 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 kind of my take home from that yeah well and and with a longer practice if you and i were to do this over the course of 45 minutes to an hour your experience of reality would change things would happen and be different in your body and as a result you could be completely different in your world after just a single session or two sessions with people i've seen everything in the trajectory of their life completely and totally change Mm. it's unreal what can happen when we unlock the physiology that's stored, like the stored memory in our bodies because the stored memory gets out of the way. You know, it's like the circuit's blocked. It's like there's, there's a kink in the hose. But when we open up that kink, the water just pours through. And that's what we want in life, right? We want our, the water, our life force, our brilliance and our energy to just pour out of us. Yep. I mean, that's what water does, right? It follows the path of least resistance. That's what all things in the universe do. And we're made up of those molecules and particles. So that's exactly what we want too, the path of least resistance. So... 
That's brilliant, man. Thank you. And, and you know what? We'll, we'll have to do it again where we can dive in a little bit more to that because I've seen some amazing things happen in terms of what you're saying, watching people ha- experience somatic releases and, and having experienced them myself, whether it's grief or anger or rage or sadness or any of these extreme emotions that we often don't give ourselves permission to go deeply into. And I know that you're you're masterful in doing that with people. And so I hope that others will, will feel inspired to reach out to you and experience your work, man. Thanks, brother. Uh, yeah. So as we start to bring this to a close, unfortunately, because I'm having such a damn good time, um, let, mm-hmm. let me ask you a few questions. Uh, what is one thing you've learned in your life that you wish you knew back when you were 18? When I was 18? Mm. This is something I've been thinking about a lot lately, so I'll, I'll, I'll throw this in here. I've been reflecting a lot lately on, on how my life has, has taken the trajectory that it has and how differently it could be if I had chosen differently. Mm. And there's one thing I wish that I knew. It's that I, I am at the cause, not the effect, of what's happening in my life. I create this, and I have created this. And rather than as a victim, I'm empowered by that power that I have in my life. And if I so choose, when I so choose, my life can be completely different. All it takes is my attention to what I'm doing. Mm. You know, attention, intention, those two go together, right? Mm. It's like, what am I attending to with my energy, with my focus, with what I'm doing in the world? I have the power to create and I've created all this stuff. Is it what I really want? If it's not, let me take control. Let me take ownership, not control, ownership of that. Yeah. Which allows me to, to direct the water, the, the energy, my life in a new way. If I had known that when I was 18, oh my God, my brilliance would have been shining in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. I agree, man. Likewise, same, yeah. same for me. And that's, that's such a big, such a big one, man. And I, I'm glad that you shared that. That's an important message to pass along. Let me ask you another one. What do you think are the most important values for men to have in the modern world? I think without a doubt, valuing connection, real human connection. Mm-hmm and the power of vulnerability. Those are underestimated as with, within the culture of, of masculinity. There's so much power in vulnerability and there's so much power in connection. And I can get into the science of connection. You know, there's a part of our brain that gets activated that produces dopamine and serotonin and all the things that we need to thrive in our bodies in a healthy way. It's called the cingulate. When we're in connection with other human beings, those things are produced in our body. Mm-hmm. That's one of the most powerful tools we have. And vulnerability will get us into connection. Yeah, man. Wow. Those, those two things, I think, are the antidotes for a lot of the pain and suffering that people are experiencing, especially especially men. Women, I find, are much more willing to volunteer their, their emotions and their experience than men are. Yeah. So yeah, man, those are, those are real powerful. Thanks for sharing that. And then lastly, before we let you go, man, tell us how the people listening can follow you, find you, work with you social media, whatever you want to throw out there, let us know how we can support you and and follow your journey. So you can find me on social media, Will Reason, R-E-Z-I-N. And social media is one of the best ways to get in touch with me. I interact with everybody that sends me messages. I I will get, I do my very best to to connect with everyone. Email will at willreason.com. And my website is www.willreason.com. I'm having some issues with the the hosting company for the, I mean, the website right now. So if you just type in Will Reason or if you Google me, it's not going to go to the right place. I'm in the process of fixing that. <laughs> but just if you put the www in there, you'll get there. <laughs> right on. And I'm sure by the time this episode comes out, that'll all be fixed anyway. So 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so going to my website and then how they can work with me, contact me. Let me know. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. And uh, I'll make sure that I put all those links up in the show notes so that people know where to find you. And we'll make sure that we, we bring you back on here again in the future, man, because you bring such a valuable perspective of science and logic that helps us understand what we're feeling and experiencing in our bodies, man. I really am grateful for what you brought to the show here, especially your vulnerability and sharing that story about your father, man. It's powerful stuff, man. It's you're, you're leading by example. Thank you. Thanks, brother. I appreciate you welcoming me here. You got it, man. Until next time. <laughs> there you have it. I really appreciate how Will takes his time with his responses. He's a very patient and centered man. And a lot of what he had to share on this episode had to do with uh, embracing the challenges that we have in our lives and not letting your story determine who you become. Using your story as a way to strengthen the medicine, to strengthen the resolve that you have living inside of you so that you can be of service to the world. Just looking at the example of what some of the things Will shared on the show and what he experienced in his life, it's amazing that he is in such a clear, grounded space of service in his life. I think it's an inspiration for all of us, especially me, to see that our circumstances don't dictate who we become. And so I hope you guys got a lot out of that episode. If you're interested in some of the more somatic experiencing, make sure you go over to therisingmanpodcast.com. That's where I'm going to put up all the show notes for links, resources, the way that you can access and connect with Will if you want to work with him one-on-one. Make sure you go and check that out. And also make sure you subscribe and leave a review. Snap a screenshot of your review, tag me in it, send it to the rising man podcast at gmail.com. This is the way that you guys are going to get on that special list of men invited to the rising man fire circle. Okay. So now the cat's out of the back. You guys know <laughs> how I'm getting you involved. So please, please do that. Not just for me, not just to support the show, but also to support the other men out there who will read your reviews, who will see how many of you guys are subscribed, how many ratings we have and going to be interested in checking this out. And for those of you guys who've been listening, you know the kind of gold that the guests have been bringing to this show. And we're only going to be ramping things up. Like I mentioned on the previous episode, next week, we're going to start having the mini episodes, the Monday morning meditations, where I'm going to share a little bit of wisdom that I've accumulated in my life, some of my reflections on life, so that we can deepen this dialogue about what it is to be a man and how we can be the best version of ourselves. So make sure that you guys are supporting the podcast in the best way you can, because it supports other men finding their way to this community. And thank you for all of you who are doing that already. Speaking of communities, facebook.com slash group slash the rising man is where it is at. If you're not already a member, please go over there right now. Stop what you're doing. Join. Ask to be allowed into the group and we'll get you in right away. And if you're already in there, invite three men. I challenge you. Invite three men in your life this week who you think will benefit from being around other men who are in this level of conversation about masculinity and manhood. Do it right now. Do it today. <laughs> All right. And check us out on Instagram at the rising man pod and at Jetty Azuma. Shout out to Sean Offenbach at infinite melodics at infinite melodics, M E L O D I X on the Instagram. Sean, I don't know what else to say about you, my man. You're crushing it with these episodes. It sounds so wonderful every time it comes through. I don't know how you make it happen, but any of you guys out there who are looking to bring your wisdom and your gifts into a podcast, or maybe you're an artist and you're looking to have somebody engineer and master your audio, Sean is your man. No doubt, 100%. Make sure you check him out at Infinite Melodics. So until next time, everybody, rise up and claim your destiny. Your destiny.